0: Thank you, everybody. Uh, I apologize that we did not have a break between that last session, so we're just gonna uh, go right into our final speaker. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Mark Calabria, Director of Financial Regulation Studies here at the Cato Institute, and I'm also very honored uh, to be introducing our final speaker today. Uh, part of my responsibilities here at Cato uh, include regularly interacting with members of Congress, and of course, some of you may know, I spent seven years working on the banking committee in the Senate, so I've spent a little bit of time around members of Congress. Uh, I can say, unfortunately, few of them show an interest in monetary policy, and even fewer show knowledge of monetary policy. Uh, So we are very fortunate to to have one uh, who serves currently as the chairman of the House Subcommittee on Monetary Policy and Trade, uh, Congressman Bill Huizinga. Uh, and I think as a reflection of that interest and understanding, uh, Congressman hyzinga has been a leader in congressional efforts to bring greater accountability and oversight to the Federal Reserve. Uh, in July, he introduced 1389, H.R. 1389, the Federal Reserve Oversight Reform and Modernization Act of 2015, which I think it's fair to say the most comprehensive set of Fed reforms since Humphrey Hawkins. Uh, I understand, uh, I should note it has gotten out of committee, and I understand it may well come to the floor next week, which we might hear a little bit more about. Uh, To my opinion, the common sense reforms in H.R. 3189, such as requiring the Fed to do cost-benefit analysis for its regulatory activities, uh, I believe would greatly improve the operation and transparency of the Federal Reserve. Uh, of course, perhaps it should be no surprise that Congressman Hizengas, uh takes a deep interest in the Federal Reserve. Prior to his election to Congress in tw- 2010, he ran a concrete and gravel business as well as being one of Michigan's most successful real estate markets. Uh, And as we have repeatedly learned the hard way, the Federal Reserve has a tremendous impact on our real estate markets. Uh, I suspect something the congressman has repeatedly seen uh, up close and on the ground. I don't know if I can say on the ground for a gravel guy, but um, (laughs) I was going to try to work some joke in there about crushing our federal debt into you know, gravel, but we'll see if whether we can do with that on the debt side. So
1: you could have done worse. You could have gone with something stoned in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll leave been. that for the congressman to run. Oh, with I that am at one. Cato. I know exactly. that. Well, you know. <laughs> We are for all sorts of individual liberties here. Uh have taking a few liberties on occasion. Uh, I also suspect having run a small business and dealing with the endless amounts of regulation that comes with that, uh, I suspect the Congressman has also been impressed with the fact that not every economic problem is a monetary one. Uh, in fact, sometimes fixing our regulatory structure you know, is a big one. So I certainly think it's important to hear uh, from somebody who's actually had to make a payroll and, and has to worry about the well-being of their employees. Uh, I should also note, in addition to his service on the Financial Services Committee, I know from from my perspective that kind of matters more than anything, but I think it's important uh, what probably matters a whole lot more is that the Congressman also represents the Second District of Michigan, which I'll note if you've never been, some of the most beautiful shoreline in Michigan, lots of lovely beaches. (laughs) To me, it sounds like a great place, great place to spend the annual August recess, so maybe I'll have to make it up there that way. I'll give you a reference. Hillsdale,
1: <laughs> Exactly. someplace Chicago, Detroit, and we Hillsdale, and then 2nd District. There we
0: go. That's right. So so when folks in Chicago look east, yeah. they get to yeah. see Bill's uh, district. So before I get too distracted by the thought of Michigan beaches, uh, I'm going to turn it over to the congressman, who will not be speaking at the podium because maybe he'll tell us a story of how he's injured his foot. Uh, but he will be sitting delivering his remarks.
1: Hey, thanks, Mark. I, I deeply appreciate that, and I was kind of wondering where you were going initially with the uh, uh, some uh, few show uh, interest and even fewer show knowledge. I wasn't sure which one I fell into on the categories, but... Uh, so I'll, I can uh, I can give you uh, either the Brian Williams version of the story of my leg, or I can give you uh, what really happened. But the uh, so it's it's just tough battling ISIS, uh, trying to save Syrian refugees, and uh, you know rescuing puppies all at the same time. That uh, but you know, what uh, the truth is that uh, I uh, should have maybe listened to Mrs. Heisinger. Uh, so men of a certain age shouldn't do certain activities and uh, the charity football game between members of Congress and the uh, Capitol Hill police officers uh, has, uh, has now, uh, has now uh, graced me with two injuries uh, and uh, so I ruptured my calf muscle, my gastroc, uh, in the middle of the game. Uh, the coolest part was though I was on the field with Herschel Walker on my team. So I mean, you know, for, for a football fan, that's that's still pretty cool. Uh, Natalie's not still not convinced that was worth uh, what we're going through right now. But uh, um, well, the, the other thing I should say is I, I realize I stand between you and cocktails. Uh, that's a dangerous spot to be in sometimes. I see lots of heads nodding uh, after a long day. Uh, but uh, what I hope to do is uh, spend a few minutes, uh, make some remarks, love to take some questions. And uh, I, have to, I have to tell you, I'm very honored. Uh, very, I feel very privileged and a bit intimidated uh, being here with you all today. And I know Dr. Taylor and, and uh, Charlie Plozer and so many others uh, that we've had a chance to interact with uh... through the committee are are here and uh... I, uh as in the words of uh... jeb hensarling he is famous for saying all right i know you're gonna do a good job just don't screw it up now uh... so uh... try not to do that but well we all know the history of the uh, of the federal reserve system the fed uh, just uh, we just celebrated Uh, or uh, memorialized its centennial uh, back in uh, uh, 2013, and uh, independent agency deriving its power from Congress initially. The Fed's power has significantly expanded, I believe, and while originally created to supervise and monitor the banking systems of the United States, uh, the Fed's role has continued to grow seemingly unchecked into its current position of being a lender of last resort to banking institutions that require additional credit to stay afloat. Uh, given the interconnectedness of the global financial system, there's no doubt that the Federal Reserve's monetary policies have significantly impacted the international markets and foreign economies as well as our own. And within the with the implementation of uh, artificially near zero uh, interest rates, QE1, QE2, QE3, QE infinity, it seems, uh, Operation Twist, uh, Fed has made an attempt to stimulate the domestic economy, by using an unprecedented level of interventionist policies, however, the result of uh, this experiment has caused investors to take increased risk and look in internationally in search of higher returns. And I think this, this chasing the yield uh, has certainly affected real estate markets. And uh, and, and we're seeing that, it, which just begs the question about risk levels and all the other things that uh, that, that are happening. Um, When we did the Centennial Oversight Project, uh, we examined uh, the Fed's actions over the last 100 years, and it became clear to me that the Federal Reserve has gone above and beyond its original mission statement— uh, in fact, since the enactment of Dodd-Frank, the Federal Reserve has gained unprecedented power, influence, and control over the financial system while remaining shrouded in mystery to the American people, uh, I think, and to many, most members of Congress and, and, uh, and those that are even interacting. A couple of examples. Uh, the Dodd-Frank Act created the uh, FSOC, uh, Super Regulator Over the U.S. Economy, and uh, driving force behind FSOC is the Federal Reserve. By empowering empowering FSOC to designate SIFIs, G-SIFIs, Dodd-Frank allows the Fed to impose bank-like standards on non-bank institutions. In other words, to move institutions from the non-bailout economy to the bailout potential economy. And the Fed is also a member of the Financial Stability Board, an international super regulator whose activities the Fed has never reported to Congress on fully. Um, Additionally, costs of Federal Reserve regulations resulting from Dodd-Frank are exploding. Uh, Thus far, the Fed has written over 60 new regulations, totaling thousands of pages, and in fact, two new Federal Reserve rulemakings issued just last month have pushed Dodd-Frank's total financial costs past the $35 billion mark. Uh, needless to say, the Fed's recent uh, quote high degree of discretion. I love that phrase. It's uh, it, it shrouds it in some mystery, doesn't it? Right, the a high degree of discretion, which I mean. I- I think layman's terms for us, you know, simple uh, gravel pit owners making it up. uh, And its lack of transparency and how it conducts monetary policy suggests reforms are needed. Uh, Likewise, I'm also concerned that the Fed's regulatory policies and the development of these policies are desperately in need of some transparency. Simply layering one uncoordinated mandate on top of another uh, without examining the impact on hardworking American families and small businesses on Main Street uh, is unacceptable in my mind. The Federal Reserve has proven time and time again that its government-knows-best approach doesn't hold the cure to what ails our economy. Uh, Not only are innovators, entrepreneurs, and job creators uneasy to invest because of the environment created by this failed framework, uh, hardworking middle-class families are paying the price as well, and it's time that we restore certainty as well as uh, fiscal responsibility. Uh, well, today, uh, somewhere north of $4, bill, uh, four trillion, uh, almost $4.5 trillion dollars in total assets. Fed's balance sheet is almost five times the size of its pre-crisis level and represents one quarter the size of the entire U.S. economy. Uh, that's a big number. Uh, the Fed, again, i got to put this in gravel pit on our terms you know, as we try to go in and explain this. Uh, The Fed's balance sheet demonstrates attempts to push money monetary policy past its most basic uh, mandate, which initially was price stability. Uh, When the Federal Reserve was created, it had a single mandate, price stability. Uh, In 1977, we had the uh, Humphrey-Hawkins Act, as uh, as Mark had uh, had talked a little bit about, instructing the Fed to pursue three goals, uh, stable prices, maximum employment, and moderate long-term interest rates. Uh, some, like myself, believe that the employment component, at a minimum, uh, has diverted the Fed's attention from the more important issue of low inflation, uh, which, in my opinion, should really be uh, maybe even the sole focus. Uh, in the worst case, an equal price stability and employment mandate has a potential for moral hazard, with the Fed p- playing off of its regulatory role against its monetary role. Absent a monetary policy that dutifully promotes price stability, uh, economic opportunity will continue to fall short of its potential, I believe. Uh, I've continued to encourage the Federal Reserve to adopt a a rule-based or guideline-based approach to monetary policy and and to communicate that guideline uh, to the public. Uh, Oftentimes, as it's referred to as the Taylor Rule, as Dr. Taylor is here. Uh, We've had this conversation. Um, uh, I had uh, both privately and publicly suggested that uh, uh, my legislation says to the Fed, you know what? We're not tying you to any particular guideline or rule. You tell us what benchmark that you want to use, and then... Just report to that benchmark. Uh, call it the Yellen rule. I don't care. Uh, whatever it whatever it might be, uh, but we want to just look at what uh, what we are measuring against. And and I think that the Fed ultimately must be accountable. Uh, to the people's representatives as well as to the hardworking taxpayers themselves. Uh, So we need to modernize the Federal Reserve and bring it into the 21st century, which is why we've introduced H.R. 3189, uh, the FORM Act, Federal uh, Reform and uh, Modernization Act, Oversight Reform and Modernization Act. Um, And uh, as uh, Mark had said, we are expecting and hoping for uh, action on that, uh, uh, hopefully even this coming week. that uh, I think you will be very pleased uh, and uh, uh, see the, uh, the 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 big guns of the House lining up in support of this, uh, and uh, we expect uh, it, uh, we expect much as it came out of committee, it will uh, it will pass the House of Representatives as well, and and uh, then it will go into. <sighs> It will go into whatever process happens in the Senate, uh, so we're uh, we 're definitely looking forward to uh, to having that interaction. maybe i shouldn 't have sighed so uh, strongly at that point, but uh, this legislation increases transparency by requiring the Federal Reserve to disclose the salaries of highly paid employees. Uh, it strengthens the independence of the go- uh, Board of Governors by allowing each governor to hire two staff members to provide expert advice uh, independent of the Fed chair's influence. Also requires Fed employees to abide by the same ethical requirements as other federal financial regulators. I think that would be an important thing. It was good for the goose. is good for the gander uh the form act will also start to pull back the curtain at the fed and increase accountability and transparency by doing such things as limiting fed officials blackout periods uh, to discuss policy with congress so sometimes we'll get that uh well sorry we can't talk about it we're in a blackout period but it can't give you a real specific date or a real reason it just seems like sometimes it's out of convenience uh that uh, that they're not able to talk to us or share with us certain things Uh, Opening the rulemaking process and then requiring the Fed to provide a cost-benefit analysis for every every regulation that it issues, and I should note that it also has a look-back provision uh, as well, as we can go back and look and examine that. Um, uh, H.R. 3189 also improves the voting membership of the FOMC by eliminating seat supremacy uh, and ensuring each district bank president would be a voting member of the FOMC every other year, uh in uh in, in plain language that means the New York Fed would no longer have a permanent seat uh, it would be on the rotation basis, uh, and uh, every other year it would be at the table as a voting member, just like every other uh, uh, Fed president, and uh, the Fed presidents that are sitting here looking at me are, definitely have their poker faces on right now, As uh, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, uh, Charlie Plozer just laughed harder, so it's, uh, there's a certain freedom in being retired, right, Charlie, right? Uh <laughs> The uh, uh, So uh, I think that would be an important element uh, in the conversations that we've had behind the scenes uh, as uh, as well as uh, some of the public conversations, but uh, to to be able to equalize that a bit. Uh, it also requires the F- that the FOMC set interest rates on balances maintained at the Federal Reserve Bank by a depository institution and strengthens the GAO's authority as well as its ability to audit the Federal Reserve operations. We've had a number of conversations about what exactly does that mean. It does have a provision for a one-time audit. Uh, We're working through exactly what that may mean for ongoing audits, much like other elements within the Fed that do get audited. There's an exemption for monetary policy, and uh, we're we're examining how to to deal with uh, some of the potential unintended consequences of that. But um, ultimately, my legislation also reforms the Federal Reserve's emergency lending powers uh, under 133. Uh, that is, uh, I believe we need to close uh, that loophole and prevent the uh, the, the likelihood uh, of future bailouts. Uh, that uh, that is something I believe needs to be addressed. Uh, Chairman Hensarling has a very strong feeling about that as well. Uh, during the financial crisis of 2008, the Federal Reserve used extraordinarily broad powers under Section 133 to provide trillions of dollars in low-cost loans to a handful of massive financial institutions, uh, the Form Act raises the bar from the current trigger, permitting the Fed to invoke its emergency lending powers only upon finding that the, quote, unusual and exigent circumstances, which is what the language reads now, uh, we, would, uh, we would have it read the, uh, quote, unusual and exigent circumstances exist that pose a threat to the financial stability of the United States. Uh, that That last part was something that I was asking uh Chair Yellen uh at our last hearing uh, last week about I uh, did not get a real clear answer it's tough trying to tackle all this stuff in a five minute question period. Uh, but uh, we're we're going to be pursuing that as to what would be the what would be the reason for the Fed's barrier for that additional language and and uh, um, it, it also mandates and I really like this uh, as well the belts and, belt and suspenders approach to it it mandates in addition to the current requirement of five of the seven uh, Fed board governors approving a thirteen three facility. Uh, that nine of the 12 district uh, fed bank presidents must also approve uh, so uh, that that is uh, everybody's been kind of quiet behind that uh, some have been quietly pushing back you may guess that uh, that may be more of the uh, Board of governors folks and their supporters uh, there's a, there's a, a number of others uh, uh, who uh, who think that would be a very positive thing uh, and lending some voices to this and my reason for putting that in and wanting to uh, to have an emphasis on that I know this is the same thing for Chairman Henserling as well, is we want to make sure that it just doesn't collapse to a very small group of, uh, of, of individuals uh, who may get sort of mono-focused on something. Uh, we want to make sure that there's as many voices as uh, as is possible within that realm of a of functionality Uh, and uh, I think those uh, those Fed Bank presidents and I'm not just sucking up because they're here uh, a couple of them uh, but I really do think those uh, those uh, Fed Bank presidents have unique uh, views and uh, experiences uh, outside of New York and outside of Washington DC that will be very valuable voices and um, I want to make sure that those that those voices are heard if we are Going to go down the road of, uh, of using 13.3 again. So, uh, and finally, the Form Act requires the Federal Reserve to adopt a rules based or, or uh, guideline based approach to monetary policy instead of continuing the ad hoc strategy currently being employed and communicate that rule uh, to the public and to Congress. And uh, we cannot have such a powerful entity within the federal government, operating on a whim. This legislation codifies common sense principles when determining monetary policy and will develop a foundation for a rules-based monetary policy that will constrain the Fed's discretion without sacrificing the Fed's independence, in my my opinion. It will also allow the Fed to be more transparent in formulating and communicating monetary policy uh, to not only uh, market participants, but also to the American public. So uh, with that, that's sort of the conclusion that I have, and uh, happy to uh, open it up for some some questions thank you Um.
0: so I will remind everyone of the rules we've been following all day which of first of all wait till someone comes to you with your microphone Uh, please have a question not a statement and please identify yourself Uh, we have uh, let's first one over here
2: Mr. Heisinger, David Malpassad, thanks for your remarks. Um, Right now, the Fed pays uh, banks the interest on reserves. Uh, It's 25 basis points. Does your bill change that? And do you see any need for boundaries on what the Fed does? Right now, it's without appropriation and without really a restraint on how high it could possibly go.
1: Yeah, um, in the bill we do not uh, we do not put it under uh, an appropriation uh, that way, and I should make sure that I introduce uh, Dr. Dino Faschetti here, Faschetti, who Dr. Dino is our uh, our uh, economist on staff at the committee, and uh, and you know I don't know if you've got some input on that. I don't think we touched the the. Uh, Dina, why don't we give you the mic?
2: Please. You are, uh, the chairman is correct. We do not have a cap. Boy, I Larry, him. He's let's good.
0: take it I'll get right back to you. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we'll have Larry and we'll move to get to
1: it. Yeah, so just on this point, the, the interest on reserve rate is chosen by the Board of Governors and not by the FOMC. Is there anything in your bill that addresses that oddity? Uh, I do not believe that we have that in there. Um, you know, certainly are open for looking as to uh, why, it, why it would be that oddity and why that oddity should remain or, or disappear. So we'd love to have that input as well.
0: I believe there's some discussion of that in the Shelby bill. So when you get to yes, the, on that the Senate, big Senate House conference, gentlemen um, uh, right here in the third row. And, and again, I'll ask people to identify themselves and their affiliation if having one,
2: if you have one. All right, Carl Gullivan, endthefed.info. Uh, article 1, section 10. I'm sorry, it was endthefed? Endthefed.info. Yeah, okay. yes. All right. So nothing personal. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, all right. article I think one. I know where this is going. But <laughs> all right. Article 1, section 10 of the Constitution Clause, A: no state shall make anything but gold and silver coin, a tender in payment of debt, never been altered by amendment. Uh, no Supreme Court ruling has ever said the states have to accept a uh, f- um, federal monetary unit that's not fully redeemable in gold and silver. So doesn't the power actually still reside at the state and local level where if individuals uh, were to pressure their constitutionally sworn officials to bring pressure to bear um, on the federal entity that a redeemable currency would have to be restored? And just by way of example, I had a speed camera ticket and I followed a motion to dismiss based on the whole process violating the monetary provisions. The state's attorney didn't respond to the motion. The judge dismissed the case.
0: Oh, here go. Let's get this in the court.
1: My, my guess is you could make some money doing some television ads with that one. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have to be all in gold, of course. But uh, the uh, it, it, look, we get into the we get into the philosophical and uh, and and. and very likely constitutionally sound argument uh, of, of of what this means and then the the struggle that i have as a public policy uh maker of where we're at you know i mean hundred years into it uh you know i I'm dealing with the echo effects of a lot of decisions that have been made over the past hundred years and uh, I- including the one and not not that long ago to to remove us from the gold standard so um, how do we get back to that and uh and and in that direction I don't believe we can get there from where we are now uh, what is that pathway uh, uh, because simply because i don't think the American public is quite Ready or has a depth of knowledge or understanding of, of of what that would mean or how we would possibly get there. I don't think we could. I don't think we could come up with a. Uh, I don't think we could come up with a uh, uh, mutually agreed upon pathway to that in the House, much less add the Senate in in with a president. Um, so uh, we don't address that uh, specifically, uh, but. I I understand where where you're coming from on it, and uh, for me personally, in a perfect world, um, I, I'd love to see a basket of commodities of of, of of some sort to return that value. I think that is a very important element, rather than uh, as uh, as my former chair, I, I served as the vice chair under uh, Chairman Ron Paul uh, of uh, domestic monetary policy, and as he would uh, point out often, the fiat currency uh, that uh, that currently exists. So. I think we're going to continue to, to struggle with that. We're just trying to deal with what we believe are the, the, the lanes with which we're swimming in right now.
0: So maybe a, a gravel cement base. I, you know, yeah, but big rocks.
1: Here's one thing I've learned, Mark. Sometimes you have to stop digging. Yeah. That's, that's quit digging.
0: <laughs> you get that in the gravel industry. All the way back, uh, the gentleman right at the...
2: Uh, Congressman, uh, let's say in three years we uh, have. I'm Craig (laughs) Torres from Bloomberg. Sorry, let's say
1: in three years we have a garden variety recession, and the Fed cuts interest rates back to zero, and out of necessity they start buying more mortgage bonds and more treasuries with a balance sheet that's already high because it really hasn't had enough time to wind down. How would that go over in Congress? not only with your party, but perhaps some elements, more populist elements of the other party. I, I don't think well. Um, I think that there is a uh, there's a there's a tremendous amount of frustration right now uh, that I sense, at least among uh, the colleagues that I communicate with about this. Of uh, whether they know details or not, they sort of in their gut know that we need to return to a normalization of. Uh, of the marketplace, and and for seven years we haven't been there, uh, so that begs the question. Uh, a couple of things: one, this is the first time sort of in modern economic history that I'm aware of that we're moving counter or potentially counter to where the the rest of the world is, right? I mean, they're they're, they're easing uh, their uh, their monetary situation, and we're looking at uh, at increasing uh, our interest rates. Um, you've got you know Christine Lagarde writing letters members of congress uh, dictating to the to the chair when she's in as to uh, whether they she should or shouldn't be uh, increasing interest rates. By the way, it's a little confusing to me how some can say that my form act is congressional meddling in the independence of the Fed, uh, yet they have no uh, they have no qualms about writing a letter uh, telling the Fed exactly what it should be doing and not somehow feeling uh, that they're interfering with the independence of the Fed, but. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very concerned because I think you're right. If we, if we don't move to a normalcy here, um, where do we go? Uh, and, uh, and, and there is, uh, I think a growing frustration, both sides of the aisle, uh, that, uh, that we can't continue to do QE infinity. We can't, you know, as, as someone pointed out, we're kind of run out of tools in the toolbox, right? So at some point or another, we, we have to move this this uh, this goalpost back to where it was originally if we're if if we're gonna be able to even try to go back to any of the, the commonly accepted tools uh, to deal with that.
0: So I'll I'll take the moderator's prerogative yeah. of um you, you, you may not know that about two months ago we had Elizabeth Warren up here on this stage talking to us about thirteen three. Uh, and it seems to me there might be some opportunity for bicameral bipartisan uh, partnership trying to restrain some of those authorities so if uh, I wonder if you could go in a little bit more detail and and whether you uh, on what your bill does on thirteen three in addition to do you see a possibility of interest uh, from the other side of the aisle with dealing some of the questions about whether institutions are solvent or not or what broadly available and all of these things mean
1: Well, I might. Not have to uh or I, I might have to modify uh, how I take all senators' names in vain uh, <laughs> if, if that is the case that's that would be a good thing uh the uh, but I think that does show that this crosses geographic, political, and philosophical boundaries in many ways i mean there's a lot of people who just have this kind of not in their gut going, okay, this, this is, you know, this temporary action has been hanging around for a very long time. And as we saw, I think it was 2013 with, uh, um, you know, with the hissy fit that Wall Street threw uh, when there was discussion of uh, of raising those interest rates and 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 anticipated what they're going to do again, um, we've we've got to we've got to kind of move beyond this, and, and I think that restoring the normalcy of the marketplace is 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 critical in that. So, uh, I, I hope that we could find. Uh, bipartisan interest in uh, in addressing that specifically as you were as you were saying um, you know 13.3 you know the belt and suspenders uh, uh, element not just having uh, you know five of the seven fed board governors but having nine of the 12 uh, bank presidents also be uh, be a part of that uh, approval Uh, um, I've got a list here a section by section here uh, limited the ability of recipients of 133 assistance to financial institutions. Define those entities that derive 85% or more of their annual gross revenues from activities that are, quote, financial in nature. Uh, I think that would be a good thing. Um, And finally, uh, it further discourages discretionary lending through the following amendments. We discuss adequate collateral, uh, solvent borrowers, uh, penalty rates for it. So uh, trying to really make sure that there's some pain to it. Uh, If you are going to go down this route, uh, making sure that there's some some pain attached to it. And um, so I, I, I hope that we can address that, and that might be... That might be one of those areas that uh, that uh, may have some of the most fertile ground.
0: Truly a lender of last resort in that regard. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, Alex. Thank you, Alex Pollock of the American Enterprise uh, Institute. Congressman, speaking of senators, um, Mark mentioned there is a Senate bill, Senator Shelby's bill uh, on uh, REGULATORY ACCOUNTABILITY, WHICH HAS VERY IMPORTANT FEDERAL RESERVE PROVISIONS IN IT, HOW DO YOU SEE THE RELATIONSHIP BETWEEN THE SENATE'S BILL, WHICH IS ALSO THROUGH THE COMMITTEE, uh, AND ITS FEDERAL RESERVE uh, PROVISIONS and, AND YOUR BILL?
1: Uh, admittedly, I do not know enough about the Senate bill to know exactly, uh, where we are going to line up. Uh, I, I will tell you this, we are hoping to be first to market. All right. We want to get the, we want to get this, we want to get this puppy through the house. And if we can, if we can get that, uh, uh out there, uh, we think that may help, uh, set the pace. And, and that's where I get to lean on great people like Dino who, uh, who dive into the details of where the Senate is on that, but.
0: I I certainly encourage some competition between the houses Uh, gentlemen here on the on the aisle
1: Congressman uh, An acquaintance of mine who has been who has made a considerable amount of money Money as a money money in stock investments. He's concerned that if the Congress gets oversight power over the Fed, that the markets will be cra- will be crashed. I myself find that a little, a little questionable. But my friend has done rather well in the stock market and knows the market, so maybe he knows something the rest of us don't. Uh, well, I think he knows that the uh, that the playing field's been slanted towards them. In my opinion, uh, that that that's a frustration that I have. You know, and, and this, isn't, this isn't what's good for GM is good for America uh, anymore. You know, what's good for Wall Street isn't always good necessarily for Main Street. Um, and uh, I, 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 I guess I reject the notion that, uh, that Congress is going to come in and micromanage the Fed. Uh, and, uh, and, and certainly I have no interest in crashing markets or doing any of those types of things, but I do want to make sure that we have a level playing field Uh, that is open and as transparent as it possibly can be and that we are creating uh, opportunities for success for everybody Uh, not just for uh, you know kind of the insiders Uh, and uh, you know it's I've got I've got friends uh, as well that uh, that that have expressed some of that concern Um, but uh, I I just I just I think we're going to be more careful about it than uh, than what they think.
0: There's certainly nothing in the bill that I have found that says Congress sets monetary policy. Um, We're here in the middle of the second row. Uh, Ed Teriak, and I have no affiliation here. Congressman, I realize that fiat money is not particularly popular in this audience, but I think we're going to have fiat money for the time being, and I think your committee has jurisdiction over this. Is there any way you can... Avoid this abomination of getting rid of Alexander Hamilton off the ten. I mean, he is. <laughs> it, it would be such a, a shame. And there is the twenty. There's the fifty. There's other yeah. eligible candidates. But please, can you save Hamilton?
1: Uh, yeah, there, there has there's been discussions of it. The crazy things we get to do, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the hat and I get to do all the congressional gold medals. So uh, the, uh, there, is, there is discussion about trying to figure out why you know, why Hamilton uh, on this. Uh, David McAuliffe uh, was uh, at the Library of Congress. Library of Congress puts on a wonderful dinner series for members, um, and uh, they bring in authors. And McAuliffe was in talking about Hamilton. Uh, and uh, and had a rather impassioned plea. Uh, I guess when you've sunk that much of your life into uh, you know living beside someone, I think as Doris Kearns Goodwin once put it, you know I lived beside these people for two or three years. As you write these books, um, it, it was pretty impassioned. But it was interesting. It was it was a very bipartisan response to that. Uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll see if the uh, the administration is able to uh, to, to uh, hold up under some of that pressure,
0: uh, Alex.
2: Right there in the middle. Alexander Salter, Texas Tech University. Uh, James Buchanan, who was the 1986 Nobel Laureate in economics,
1: also favored a rule for monetary policy. You mentioned rules at the the end of your talk. But Buchanan specifically favored enshrining the rule at the constitutional level. I was wondering if you
2: could speak about the merits of rules-based policy, whatever the rule is, uh, via the course of ordinary legislation versus a constitutional amendment.
1: Sure. Um, I'll take a crack at it. And then when I fumble the ball, I'll have Dr. Taylor come up here and uh, yeah, but the, you know, let, us let, talk a little bit about the constitutional element, uh, in there first and foremost, um, at least from our, the language of the form act, uh, we are not prescriptive, uh, what we say to the Fed is, you come up with your guideline or your rule, uh, and then we'll just help hold you accountable to that. <laughs> uh, you know, I get—I I, get—I'm I get, uh, by by nature, I'm a conservative, so I get very—I get—I I get a little uh, little rashy when uh, when I start hearing you know, a little feel a little itchy under the collar when people want to start changing the Constitution. All right. I I, I typically am a go slow on uh, on those kinds of things and and really would want to think through why it would have to be a constitutional amendment uh, to uh, to dictate that. So I'm not familiar enough with his argument uh, specifically on that. But um, why I believe it is important um, is we look, we know that the Fed utilizes rules. Uh, They utilize them as as uh, as uh, tools to analyze. Uh, they have a number of them that they examine when they're making those decisions. Uh, and what we're saying is, sh- share the info. Let us in on this. Uh, that, uh, that really is the purpose of it. Not to say, you will do. Uh, we say in the, in the bill, um, here's your opportunity to benchmark yourself. We want to know how you perform against that benchmark. Uh, and uh, literally, if they want to throw rock, paper, scissors, uh, <laughs> they can do it. Uh, you know, we're not saying that they can't, but we're going to hold them accountable as to what that doesn't. Who knows? Maybe it would work. Uh, you know, rock, um, <laughs> it might worse. But it could be could worse. It couldn't, couldn't be worse? Is that what you said? It might be yeah. right. worse. All right. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that there's, and uh, there's, uh, in, in the conversations in all seriousness, in the conversations with Dr. Taylor and others, um, I've been convinced that it makes sense uh, to have that kind of benchmark as we are moving forward. And, and look, this is the, the people that are in this room right now know more than ninety nine point nine nine percent of the general population about what the Fed does and 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 what it uh, what what the intricacies of it are. But there's a lot of people out there that again sort of have this something. In their gut, where they're going, it's just it just doesn't feel right to them, right? They 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 feel like it's um, they 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 can kind of know that it's been uh, uh, rigged, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but it's been it's been massaged um, uh, to to a point where it's trying to gain a certain outcome that they're not sure they're comfortable with, and uh, and I think that's my reason for wanting to have as much transparency as possible. Uh, making sure that there is, uh, uh, there is a, a way to hold the Fed and, and others who are making those decisions, hold them accountable, uh, and, and to be able to benchmark them. And I understand their, their, their concern that they don't want to become the political football uh, either. I have a real concern that the Fed has grown increasingly uh, uh, political. Um, I, I believe Treasury certainly has. Uh, and, uh, and, and that, you know, that was, uh, that was, I, I think that has shown itself, uh, in, in recent years. So, um, uh, I'll, I'll do a little more investigation on, uh, on Dr. Buchanan's, uh, assertion, but, uh, that's kind of my initial reaction. Uh, John? Yeah, I believe this is prerogative is what this is called.
0: I <laughs> want to say the idea that legislation going through the whole house is, seems very promising. seems to me it's a sort of return to regular order. Yes, which is, uh, is what I'm reading here, which is really important uh, part of regular order, of course, is what the other side will do. You have this bill uh, that Alex asked you about from uh, the Senate Banking Committee. But there are there are there are some similarities. It seems like it could be something that could be worked out, especially on the reporting of policy rules. But the question really is, how, how would how would that work? What would be suppose they get a bill? It's, it's going to maybe be partisan as well. Then what, what would be the process at that point?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, it, let me address, first of all, uh, sort of the regular order element. Um, I, I really do have a sense that it's a new day in the House. Um, we saw that, uh, you know, with a very difficult situation with the highway bill, uh, I believe that uh, now Speaker Ryan uh, has uh, has had to make the best out of some very bad situations. And, uh, and that, that returned to regular order. I mean, there was over 200 amendments that were filed, over 100 of them that we voted on uh, in that bill. Um, I, I can guarantee that it probably would have been about three amendments uh, had, it, uh, had he not opened up that process. And um, So I think that is, that is very positive. You know, and as we move forward, I, I, I think the real question is, can we get our bill out on a bipartisan basis or is it going to come out on a partisan basis? I really hope that we can get some bipartisan support. We know that there's a number of bi- of, uh, uh, of Democrats who are interested in certainly provisions of it, whether it's the 13-3, the audit part. I mean, the, the audit part alone passed with over 300 votes in the House uh, last time we voted on it. Um, requirements for international negotiations, making sure that they're reporting back to, uh, to Congress. That's something that has had broad bipartisan appeal. Uh, you know a number of those types of things. So, um, so first we got to get through that that hurdle, and and I think if we can make it bipartisan, that that increases our chances. And then conversely, what happens in the Senate uh, is uh, how do they get to that sixty vote threshold? Uh, what type of concessions do they have to make, uh, uh, if any? Uh, I would suspect they probably would. And then, as we come together, what uh, you know, what's sort of our our core you know, of what we want to change? In my mind, one of those cores is thirteen uh, three. We we've got to look at that, and and that has got to be one of the central uh, tenets in my mind of of uh, of what we're doing. I mean, that's that's one of the main uh, one of the main reasons I think, uh, in my mind, of why we uh, why I wanted to move ahead with this bill. I also think. Making sure that we don't get we don't disadvantage ourselves in international negotiations, um, and making sure that we're treating financial institutions as financial institutions and non-financial institutions as non-financial institutions. Uh, so uh, there's there's uh, it's maybe like faith, right? You know, there's there's some main basic tenets, and then there's a whole lot of angels dancing on the head of pins kind of questions out there that we may have uh, to to deal with. But I, I'm 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 hopeful that if we can get a good, strong bipartisan uh, bill out, that uh, that the White House is going to have to take a look at it.
0: And then we've got time for just a couple more. I just want
1: to point out, Mark's holding you back from cocktails, not me. Okay, so,
0: In that case, we've only got time for one more, which is what I said. So uh, all the way back, and let's hope to make it a quick one.
1: All right.
2: Yeah, Dan Thornton, D.L. Thornton Economics. My question uh, for the congressman is how he feels about the Fed's um, idea of raising interest rates by increasing IOR, which is going to be basically transferring some of the revenue that they get every year to banks. And almost all of that is going to be large banks because that's who's holding holding those funds. The other thing, it's going to be transferring funds away from Congress – uh, to large banks for the sole purpose of holding a large balance sheet. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, th- I think you have uh, you have hit on a problem with those uh, with those reserves, and and I, I'm not I'm not entirely comfortable with that. Uh, that uh, that I think is uh, uh, is 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 setting us up. I don't have a huge problem of taking revenue away from Congress uh i'm not sure i i'm not sure that we do uh i'm not sure we do the lord's work all the time with what we are given so uh <laughs> um so uh that 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 part is not uh is is not a huge element but it you know again if we're going to be looking at um it seems like we're 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 moving levers that uh that seem more convenient than trying to actually get at some of those root causes and issues so.
0: So, so with that, I first of all, I really want, uh, want to thank the congressman. I know he flew in from Michigan today to be here, so I, I really appreciate that. Uh, um, so, but before we hit the bar, my colleague Jim Dorn, I think, has got a couple uh, ending remarks, wrapping up remarks, uh, and then the bar will be open. <laughs>
2: I just wanted to thank everybody, uh, especially the uh, speakers and the chairs, and uh, a very well informed audience, which makes this conference kind of unique. Uh, so I thank everybody for attending again, hope to see you next year, and I, I like the civil discourse uh, that we've had. And um, the articles will be uh, in the Cato Journal, published in the Cato Journal, usually with a lag of about uh, six months or so. And. Um, I encourage you to visit the, uh, our new center's uh, blog. I think you'll find it interesting. And uh, now head up to the reception, enjoy yourselves and relax. And thanks uh, again for a, a long day, but a productive one.